Fear is the spirit. And there's other kinds of spirits. There's a spirit of bondage. You know what bondage is? Think shackles. Think imprisoned. Think stuck. Think immovable. Think miserable. The enemy wants to put you in bondage. And he wants you to believe a different gospel. And what will happen if you're not careful, you're going to find yourself succumbing to works instead of faith, and you're going to not be empowered by God's grace. You're going to think you're the one that has to do it all. Now, there can be hyper grace, and there can be sloppy faith, or vice versa. Grace and faith go hand in hand. Grace is God's empowerment. Faith is me putting it into action. I have faith for Stephanie. I have faith for Andy. I have faith for David and Nayeli. I have faith for Jeremy and Lauren. I have faith for each and every one of you. I fully believe that you will step into the more that God has for you. That's how confident I am. But what happens is, is the enemy wants to burden you down with religious burden. And if you start believing another doctrine, and you lose the joy of your salvation, and you start walking in fear as a Christian, the Bible says that you're actually committing spiritual adultery. There's a lot of doctrines out there. Now, I got my buddy Solomon here today. I love Solomon a lot because he's really smart when it comes to Hebraic studies and the Torah and the feasts and understanding Jesus behind them and not putting religious burden on you. Because even those things, the Sabbath and the, the Mosaic law, if you think that you can measure up by keeping those things, you will fall into a performance spirit and you'll miss the essence of what God really wanted to do. See, the Sabbath was created for man, not man for the Sabbath. But now there remains a rest, Hebrews 4, for the people of God. That's full time all the time. Let's say this together. Say it's full time, full time. all the time. So if I don't keep a Sabbath day during the week, I'm not in sin. Is it a good idea to keep a Sabbath during the day of the week? Should we celebrate the feast and the joy of who Jesus was and the Passover? You bet. We had an awesome Passover Seder meal. It wasn't religious. It wasn't weird. And if we didn't do it, Jesus would have still loved us just as much as before. But some of you came out of a religious works background, and it pushed you away from God. And what you saw of God on TV and from the last preacher was a lie, and it was deception. It didn't teach you about your identity as son. Instead, what it did is you got born again, you got the joy of the salvation, and now you're back in fear and bondage religiously. We're talking about the mind today. I'm talking about religious oppression in your head. I'm going to set you free from that. Woo! I'm going to set you free from that today. Because some of you have stinking religion. I'm not kidding you. And it's not going to be under my watch. And I'm not that smart. Jesus loves me. I love him. I met him. I'm a son. The blood fights on my behalf. It speaks a better word than the, the blood that's crying out for vengeance from Cain. I know who I am. I know who he is. I know his word, and I, I constantly perpetuate faith by the grace that he's given me. It's a supernatural life. It's Zoe life. It's animated. It's vibrant. It's passionate. Come on, guys. I, maybe, maybe you didn't meet the Jesus I know. I don't, I don't know. Maybe you met a wrong Jesus. No, I'm not kidding. Did you know there, there are other forms of Jesus out there? And if you start believing a wrong Jesus, you'll believe a false gospel. You know, a half-truth is still a lie. 
And what happens is, is we want to feel good by our religious duty. So we want to measure up to God by thinking that we can be good enough, and if I do X, Y, and Z, he'll be pleased with me. But if I don't do X, Y, and Z, I've let him down. And I got a bunch of people that are feeling like they've let God down and walking in constant fear of who he is. Here's a great litmus test for you. When you bomb it, you, for a week, you keep saying, Lord, forgive me. But see, I know the power of the blood and what Jesus does when he forgives my life. I know that he says as far as the east is from the west, he doesn't remember anymore. Does that give me the grace and liberty to keep sinning? No. In fact, the more I get forgiven, the more that I'm falling in love. And now I'm so forgiven of how jacked up I was because I was really messed up. And so when I got born again, I got rescued from an orphan spirit. Because orphan spirit and fear are synonymous. Spirit of fear and orphan are synonymous. And what happened was, is I was so fired up, I was so living such a simple gospel life. I didn't care about positions, I didn't care about titles, I didn't care about man-pleasing, none of that stuff. But, but it didn't take very long in the 90s for me to start going to churches that taught me if I was good enough, God would accept me. If I did my devotions and I worshiped and I was disciplined enough, then I would please God and he would move on my behalf. I actually thought my religious works could get God to do something. That's ultimate deception. And you're, it's living a lie. We got to stop living a lie. Now, do I think you should stop sinning? Do I still love you no matter how many times you do? Yes, some of you really put me to the test too. But you know what? I bombed it a thousand times. And when I bombed it, I got beat over the head with a Bible, and I was told, you're such an idiot. What's the matter with you? Don't you read your Bible? You haven't been doing this. You haven't been doing that. Next thing you know, I put her into condemnation, and I put her into shame. You deserved what you got. You made your bed, now lie in it. That's not in the Bible. Now, are there consequences? Yes. Let me tell you how consequence works. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, the Lord says this powerful thing. This isn't even in my notes, by the way. I'm just going with the Holy Ghost today. Genesis 4, 7. Cain brings a sacrifice to God that's not authentic. It's a half-hearted sacrifice. It's half-hearted worship. There's, it's like totally half-hearted. And the Lord didn't accept it because it wasn't authentic in all of him. He was teaching a lesson. I want your very best, not half-hearted. Come broken, come weak, come a most wretched sinner. And during worship, here's what I want you to do. I want you to beat on your chest and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then I want everybody else that's worshiping, that's overcome, to cheer them on and to, to pray for them and encourage them instead of beat them down. Because Jesus said, the sinner that cried out for mercy got it, but the righteous person that thought he was perfect did not get it. And so the Lord makes this awesome statement. Cain is offended at God. He's mad. And the Lord makes this powerful statement. He says, if you do well, you'll, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door or it crouches at the door and its desire is to rule over you. So sin is always crouching at your door to rule over you. What breaks you? Sin breaks you. God loves you, but we don't break God's laws. God's laws break us. Thank you. 
So sin will kill me. The wages of sin is death. But what I want you to know is that God is full of mercy and grace and compassion and life and love. And when I bombed it a thousand times, I had forgiveness and I ran to him instead of away from him. Because when we sin, the number one thing that the enemy wants us to do is see our shame, see our nakedness and retreat or cover yourself. Fight to cover yourself your way. That's the deceptive lie. And it's a false gospel. Everybody say it's a false gospel. Now, if you start give, falling to deceiving spirits and you start falling to a false gospel or a different doctrine than what I teach you, than what the Apostle Paul taught, than what Jesus taught, if you start believing that you actually have to fall into religious works or legalism, what you will do is you'll trade your lawlessness for legalism and you will literally become a different person than what God intended you to become. And it will eat up your mind. I meet these weird Christians, weird Christians that lay claim to knowing God, but they don't accurately reflect and represent him. Yeah. It's because they feel like they have to constantly speak Christianese. They have to constantly measure up. They do all the right things. Their personal life is a mess. Their relationships are a mess. And I think if this is what Christianity looks like, I don't want anything to do with it. There's a lot to that, which I won't go into this morning. But the other thing is when Paul was preaching the gospel, you had Judaizers that were trying to get converted Christians to go back to legalism. And everywhere the Apostle Paul went, there were Judaizers trying to get believers to go back to legalism, that they had to follow the Mosaic law to a T, the Torah to a T, and they could still be Christian, but they better follow not only those laws, but all the 600 plus laws that were passed down through tradition over time, traditions of men. One of the laws that was a big battle was that the, the believers needed to be circumcised in the flesh. And Paul is saying, look, your flesh, there's no confidence in the flesh. The circumcision is circumcision in your heart. And so even Titus, there was a time where Titus didn't get circumcised, and it caused a lot of problems. And Paul would preach against that and say, don't fall prey to religious duty. Be, walk in your liberty and the freedom with which God has given you. Okay, now if you start believing false doctrines or multiple doctrines that aren't the true gospel and the true spirit, Paul, the apostle Paul says it's adultery. And what he wants you to do is live your life like this. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse two. He says, first, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. Now there's a difference between worldly jealousy and godly jealousy. Here's worldly jealousy. I never trust you. I track you on your phone everywhere that you go. I'm talking about maybe in a relationship, a spouse, a girl, a boy. You're always worried that they're going to cheat on you, lie to you. There's no trust. And then the jealousy is that if you're going to hook up with somebody else and I'm constantly controlling you, you're going to stay at home. This is very prevalent in this culture between husbands and wives. The husband keeps the wife at home. She can't go to the grocery store. She's tracked her every moment. There's fear that she's going to go hook up with somebody else. There's weird jealousy. That stuff happens in this culture. But godly jealousy is, is I'm so jealous for you to only know Jesus and not fall prey to a false gospel. And that I want you to be a chaste virgin. Now that's pretty intense language, wouldn't you say? You know what it means to be chaste? To be chaste means that I'm sexually pure. To be chaste means that I have been washed in the blood and now I've got the joy of my salvation and I'm walking in innocence 
and I'm fully betrothed to be presented to Jesus and not another. It also means I'm venerable. You know what it means to be venerable? Anybody? Come on, Nikki. (laughs) To be venerable means I have so much honor and respect for the person that I'm engaged to that I'm going to live my life with integrity and purity because I'm so in love, I'm betrothed or being presented. I've entered into a formal engagement. We have two marriages happening in May. We have Ashley and Alex getting married uh, next month, and then we have... um, Reuben and Chelsea getting married both back to back. So when we get together in our premarital classes, I'm like, you better keep it pure. You better honor each other right. I'm expecting you to live venerably towards each other. Honor and respect. That's why if you hook up with somebody and they start getting in your pants, I would probably call it off. Seriously. Or I'd get some help pretty quickly. Now, Amber and I didn't do it perfect, and I had to come back full circle to Amber many years later and say, listen, I wasn't the man of God. I didn't treat you venerably. I want to ask you to forgive me so that there's no cracks in my foundation and the enemy can't come full circle and try to rob me because I'm stepping up as a man of God. And if you blew it prior to your marriage, guess what? God's a God a million chances. I would encourage you to go back to your spouse and say, hey, I blew it. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Yes, I forgive you, and it's done with. Now the enemy has no more foothold in your life. Come on, that's powerful. Don't give the enemy any foothold in your life. Don't build a house on a cracked foundation. And if you did, just repent. You may say, well, that was 25 years ago, and we're doing great now. I shouldn't have to go back. Listen, don't give the enemy any foothold. Things don't go wrong. They start wrong. And so for me, I just went back to my wife And I made it right. She's like, I forgive you. Will you forgive me? I said, yeah. And the Holy Spirit came. We wept and we cried and it was powerful. Now, if you're single, you want to do this thing right. You want to be, you want to live venerably and you want to treat each other venerably. That's the way it is. But Paul is talking about a bridal understanding here. Let's pull the verse back up. Here's the bridal paradigm. The bridal paradigm is this. I'm a a bride. He's the bridegroom. And Paul's writing from the place of a spiritual father. And he's saying, look, I'm a father to your life, and I'm jealous for you because I'm presenting you to Jesus. To present means to stand by, be next to, and be in intimacy with. So I want to see each of you next to Jesus and in intimacy with him. So I'm literally taking you every week, and I'm saying, stand by Jesus. I'm presenting you to Jesus. That's the mindset. And I'm jealous for you. I don't want you to fall prey to a legalistic doctrine that feels good and sounds good. They're all over this city. It feels right. It seems right. But it puts a religious burden on you. Not every church in this city is that way. I'm just telling you that there's some weird... Just ask Marlene, Pastor Marlene, about the church she came from. Just ask Candy and Diana. So many of you. Religious oppression will spin your mind out because you think you're doing the right thing, but actually it's deception. And then you wonder, why in the world aren't I living in the joy of my salvation? Because I feel like I always have to please God, but I'm failing at it miserably. Let's be honest. Some of you today feel like you're failing God. And there's fear in that. And there's torment in that. I'm break that right out of your life today. All right? So I'm presenting you as what? A chaste virgin. It means that I'm pure. It means that I don't believe multiple doctrines. It means that I believe the simple gospel. The simple gospel. Everybody say the simple gospel. Verse 3. But I fear 
Now, this is a healthy fear. This is such a healthy fear that I'm going to preach the truth so much, so confidently to you every week. And if you get sideways or sidetracked, I'm going to do all I can to pull you out of it. And I don't want you to go believe a lie. Where's the fire? Where's the passion? Where's the joy? Where's the life we were intended to live? What in the world is happening with some of us? Maybe we've been a Christian a little bit too long. I don't know what it is. We bought all the t-shirts, the bumper stickers, been there, done that. I don't know. But I am so fired up today, 27 years later, I'm going to stay so fired up because I am in love with a man. I am in love with a man. Yeah! Man, I'm in love with a man. I can't even tell you how I'm in love. I love Jesus. Look, I'm not that smart. I don't know what to say to you. I know maybe you need more. I'm going to keep it simple for you. Jesus is a man that I love, and you should too. And when I met him, he changed my whole life. And if it doesn't bring the joy of my salvation and keep me confident and brings me into a religious oppression, I am committing adultery. Look at the scripture. I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve, how? You know what it means to be crafty? I'm going to give you a great definition for craftiness. It means I deceived you and you didn't know it. It means that I subtly came in. It means to be subtle. And it means when you least expected, I tricked you. And then I disappeared. So you thought it was you and not me. It's crafty. Now, the Apostle Paul is talking about a scripture from thousands of years prior that's applicable for today. That if you're not careful, a crafty Satan or serpent will deceive you. And where specifically does he work to deceive us? Look at the scripture. In our minds. It's religious spirit. It's the spirit of fear. It's the spirit of bondage. Come out and be free today. Come out and be free today. Come on, guys. Be excited. You, I don't know, I don't know what else to tell you. I want to grab some of you and shake you. He paid the price. The blood has been shed to set you free. So Paul's saying, I, I fear lest somehow, everybody say somehow. Somehow. As the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds would be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. You know what? Keep it stupid simple. Come on, guys. Keep it so simple. The gospel's simple. You were jacked up, he died. He shed his blood. Now you're set free. Now you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, and you're not alone, like me following Jeremy all around. Now, in my worst situation, I have lordship. I have a headship over my life, and now I'm not an orphan anymore. I'm not abandoned anymore. I've been rescued. Why would I go back to religious oppression? Let's pull the verse back up. I fear lest somehow the enemy and his craftiness would deceive our mind just as Eve was deceived. So let's look at Genesis chapter 3. We're going to read the first 13 verses. You guys ready? All right. Now the serpent was more cunning. Cunning, crafty are the same thing. 
He was super, super crafty and super, super cunning. Then any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat from every tree of the garden? So let's pause right there. The first thing that the devil always does is put a question mark where God puts a period. Remember that. So what, the first thing he does is get you into fear by getting you to doubt God. If he can get you to not believe the truth, if he can get you to not hear God's voice and stand firm on his promise, if he can get you to start to doubt what God's really said, you're in trouble. That's why every week I just try to keep reminding you. But even better than me, you have, you have this. You have 66 books full of thousands of promises from God of who you are, and we have to stop putting a question mark where God put a period. When God makes a promise to you, the Bible says it's like the rain that comes down from heaven. His word is a promise that doesn't go back to him void. And it accomplishes that which he set it out to accomplish. But I have to walk by faith and put my hope and my belief and my trust in God's word. Because the enemy always wants to get me to doubt God's word. Every day, he wants to get me to question God. So it's the deception for Eve started when the enemy came in and planted the seed, did God really say? Did God really say, you know, premarital sex is a sin? I mean, come on, really, I got to figure out if I want to live with that person the rest of my life. I need to make sure that they got it going on before I marry them. So what's wrong with a little bit of action prior to marriage? Deceptive lie that a lot of Christians live. Big smile on my face. It's a lie. And there are a lot of other ones. There's a lot of them where the enemy comes in to rob, steal, kill, and destroy and to bring doubt into our minds and our hearts to get us to believe a lie. And so the first thing he did was he deceived her to believe that God didn't really say. The next thing he did is he said, now the serpent, or and the woman said to the serpent, we can eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, that's a lie. You're not going to die. And there's several dynamics to the scripture. One of the dynamics is, is that it's okay if I do this sin in my life. I'm not going to die. You know what that's called? Presumptuous sin. It's, I already know the cross is there. I already know he's forgiven me. So if I do this, I already know that he'll forgive me. Now, guess what? There is truth to that. And God even forgives presumptuous sin. But over time, that sin will kill you. And so what I want to do is I want to get you to the place where you're living upright before the Lord, where you're trusting him, and that you don't die. Now, in this particular case, death comes from eating from the wrong tree. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Let's say this together. Say, God doesn't want me to be good. Come on, guys. Let's say it again. God doesn't want me to be good. He wants me to be spiritual. Does he want you to do good? Of course he does. He wants you to do good. But good comes from living a spiritual life and from eating from the right tree. And so the serpent said to the woman, you're certainly not going to die, which was a total lie. Next verse. For God knows in the day that you eat of it, actually, instead of you dying, here's what's going to happen. 
you're now going to have your eyes open to see the truth fully for what it really is. And now you will actually become like God, knowing good and evil. And there's an innate ability or desire, there's an innate desire inside of every person to be like God. But if you're eating from the wrong tree, you will bring justice in your own way and headship and lordship in your own way, not his way. But the innate desire to be, I want to be like God. But I'm never going to get there in my own wisdom and intellect. I'm only going to get there when I'm eating from the tree of life. And so the deceptive lie that sounded good to Eve was, hey, I want to be more like God. And that's probably not really true. And actually, if I eat this, I'll be more like him. Now, this is a half-truth. Did you know that? Because later on, God would put the cherubim with the flaming sword to keep Adam and Eve from the tree of life. And here's what, the, what they'd say. Let's keep, we, we, now that they've eaten of that tree, their eyes are open, and now they become like us. We have to keep them away lest they live forever. You know why? Because God never wanted us to live in a world of good and evil. He wanted us to be spiritual and to be spirit-led. So the way that we, we, we determine what's good or evil is through discernment, which is now a gift of the Holy Spirit in my life. Instead of me being the judge in my own intellect, I'm now spirit-led. Does that make sense? Okay. So what's the first thing that happened when they ate of the tree? Genesis 3, 5. Uh, there you go. I'm sorry, 3, 7. You were right. Genesis 3, 7. It says, then the both of them... The, uh, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were what? So the first thing that happened was they saw their nakedness and fell into shame. Here's what that means. As soon as their eyes were opened, the intellectual mindset that was in them prior of God's protective hand and covering on their life was lifted. And so now they were uncovered. And they saw their nakedness, and they were ashamed. The world's narrative today is naked and ashamed. Like the TV show, Naked and Afraid. Actually. The world's narrative is naked and ashamed. So when you're eating from the wrong tree, and you don't have the proper covering and the right gospel in your life, when you sin or when you fall short, you find yourself falling into shame, seeing your nakedness, and then guess what you'll do? You'll try to perform religiously to cover your own self. They sewed their own covering. I can't make my own covering. I just got to come to the Lord just as I am. Lord, I bombed it and I blew it, and man, shame and nakedness is wreaking havoc. I've been eating from the wrong tree. Lord, I'm coming to you. Cover me, protect me, wash me, transform me, and save me. It's the right gospel. But the false gospel will be that religious works is what's going to get you covered. Religious works will never get you covered. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walk in the garden, the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife, what did they do? They hid themselves. Shame always hides. Shame always blames. So the first thing that happens is when you feel uncovered, you'll hide. And I just want to call you all out of hiding. Please don't hide anymore. Find family, find friends, find somebody that loves Jesus authentically and accurately and get with them and let them invest into your life. Confess your sins to one another that you would be healed. Don't walk in the shame anymore. I don't want any of you to feel shame. Yeah, amen. And so 
Verse 9 says that God called Adam and said to him, where are you? And here's what he said. I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Verse 11. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Religious deception will always tell you that you're naked. The wrong tree will always tell you that you're uncovered. And it speaks a lie constantly to you. And it's very subtle. I'm trying to get it into your minds this morning that the craftiness of the enemy and religious deception is very, 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 very subtle. And it's a turnoff. It's a turnoff from church. It's a turnoff from real, authentic Christianity that preaches the true gospel. Amen? Amen. Verse 12. Then the man said, the woman you gave me. So the next thing that happens, we start blaming each other. It wasn't my fault. It was their fault. Instead of just taking ownership. Verse 13. And Lord God said, what is it you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. And that was true. So now when we go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2, Paul picks up the narrative. He says, I fear, lest as the serpent did the same thing to Eve, the serpent will do it to you. What's the deception? Eat from the religious lie and the wrong tree that says you can be good enough or you need to measure up, and it's a deceptive lie. You can never measure up and be good enough. And guess what? No, you're not worthy, so stop trying to be. But when God sheds his blood, he makes you a son. And when you get born again, now I'm a son. So I don't have to be worthy. I'm inherited. I've been brought into the family. Let me break this down a little bit for you more. Verse 4. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus, everybody say another Jesus. There's another Jesus out there. I know some of you are like, this doesn't even apply to me. I go to Rock City. I'm fired up here. Look. Let's just keep it that way. How about that, right? Religion will corrupt your mind. And you'll think you're doing the right thing. And then you wonder, where's the fire? Where is the fire? The only way I can stay on fire is because I know I'm a son, and I know he loves me, and I don't walk in fear anymore. It's bondage. Fear is bondage. So you come to preach another Jesus that we've not preached, or if you received a different spirit. Let's say a different spirit. spirit. Now, I'm going to explain this to you. He says, which you've not received, a different gospel, which you've not accepted, that you may well put up with it. Here's how this works. I got so fired up for Jesus as a son, but over time, religion crept in and beat me down. Now I'm walking in fear, trying to please God all the time and measure up, and I'm not good enough, and I'm in shame because I'm constantly bombing it. That describes a whole lot of you here this morning. It's a different spirit. I once was lit up. Yeah. Woo, he rescued me. Now I'm like broke, busted, disgusted, beat down, and I'm a Christian. What happened? Lies, fear, shame. Who deceived you? Satan or one of his minions? It's a false gospel. Is a false gospel. Now, in this case, it was returning to religious works. I don't want you to fall prey to the religious works mindset. I know it all too well. And so he says that you can receive a different spirit or even a different gospel, and if you're not careful, you'll actually tolerate it, and you'll think it's okay. And I'm going to explain that to you. It's mind deception at its finest. 
religious deception. What are the different types of spirits that you could receive outside of Jesus? Here's one, 2 Timothy 1.7. You all know this one. For God has not given me a spirit of You know, fear is the spirit, right? And it's tormenting. Fear is the spirit. So some of us are born again or we come to Jesus and we're walking in fear. We're being tormented. Here's a great identifier if you fall and pray to a different spirit. Fear. Fear for your health, fear for your life, fear for your future, fear for, your, for a marriage, whatever it is. Fear that it's never going to happen. Instead of faith, instead of speaking confident life. So God has not given you a spirit of fear, but what did he give you? A, a spirit of power, love, and a, that's right, a sound mind, not a deceived mind. The religious spirit wants to enslave you. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 19 to 20. For you put up with fools gladly since you yourselves are wise, exclamation point. For you put up with it if one brings you into bondage, if one devours you, if one takes from you, if one exalts you, if one strikes you on the face. And there are a lot of false religious people that do these things. What they do is they actually bring you into religious bondage and then they slap you across the face. You know how you know when your face has been slapped? Shame, anguish, fear, your countenance instead of joy and passion and excitement. Now, it doesn't mean there aren't times that I'm plowing through something and it's hard and it's difficult, but I never lose position of the joy of my salvation and maintaining faith in the true gospel because fear will torment and kill you. And so people put up with it. He says it right here. People put up with it. And I'm going to break that thing out of this church and out of your own life, and we're going to set some more captives free as they keep coming to this church. Now, here's another thing. Here's another way that it happens. Not only do, the, do religious people slap you across the face and put you into bondage, but they also will sneak into a church like this as a spy in a stealth way. Now, if you think that that's a crazy language, it's in the Bible. Let me show it to you. Galatians 4.8. But then, indeed, when you did not know God, you served those by which... Uh, those which by nature are not gods. Actually, that's not the scripture I wanted. Sorry. Galatians 2.4. And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring you into bondage, to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Don't yield to a religious spirit for a minute. Don't yield to the spirit of bondage for one minute. And they will try to come into this church stealthily as spies. Now, I don't think any of you all are that way. Here's the other thing, is if somebody comes in here with that kind of mindset, our culture of love and the true gospel will override that, and let's actually get them converted to the true gospel. So I'm not really concerned about stealth spies. I just know they're going to come. Do you understand? So no, no, nobody's going around like, are you a stealth spy? Are you? <laughs> I'm not worried about that, guys, but I'm just letting you know that it happens. What do they want to bring you into? Bondage. 
So don't yield for a minute. Now let's go to Galatians 4, 8. But then indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not God. But now after you've known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid for you, lest I've labored for you in vain. Religious observant thinking can kill you if it's not spiritual and led by the Holy Spirit. You'll think you're pleasing God by observing the days and the months and the feasts and all these other things. That doesn't please God. We have liberty now. We do the feast to remember and see Jesus in the midst of them. Pentecost, Passover, uh, Tabernacles, which is Pentecost. There's others. Solomon knows them all really well. Just ask him. He'll tell you all the feasts and how to celebrate them the right way where Jesus is in the midst of it. But what I'm saying to you is that you've got to be very, very careful not to turn to weak and beggarly elements. You know what weak and beggarly elements are? No power, no life, no joy, no faith, no confidence, and no freedom. Yeah, that's the way we're supposed to live, not weak and beggarly. 1 Timothy 4.1. Now the Spirit... The Holy Spirit is expressly saying to you that in these days there are doctrines that are demonic by deceiving spirits to pull you away from faith. There it is in the scripture. Now, I'll be optimistic and believe that none of y'all are given prey to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. But how do you know when you are? When it's pulling you away from faith. Here's what I know. When you are walking broke, busted, beat down, hurting, and in pain, I'm going to bring comfort to you and speak life to you and bring faith into your life, but now I want to get you to start walking by faith. That's not a religious burden. Start speaking life. Start speaking hope and promise. Start declaring. Be spirit-led in your finances, in your marriage, no matter what you're going through. So there is a doctrine of demons that are out there, and I don't want you to give heed to it. 2 Peter 18. False teachers speak great swelling words of emptiness, and they allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, and the ones who have actually escaped from those begin to live in error. While they promise liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption, for by whom a person is overcome, by him also he's brought into bondage. For if, after they've escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord Savior, uh, our Lord and Savior Jesus, so I've escaped the pollution of the world, they again entangle themselves, get entangled, they get overcome, and then the, the latter is worse than the, than the former. So what happens is, is we become religious, and now we're worse than we were before we got born again. Please do not become that person. Stay fired up. Stay in love. Stay intimate. Stay in his presence. Stay in his word. Honor him, love him, have joy in your life. Verse 21, for it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. And then he goes on to talk about it's like a dog returning to vomit or a sow that's just been washed going back to wallow in the mire. Let's not do that. So here's the good news. Galatians 5.1. 
Galatians 5.1 says that we are to stand in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. All right? I don't know if I quoted this earlier, but I'm going to say it to you now. One of my favorite scriptures in the Bible is Romans 8.15, which says God has not called me to fear or, the, or to bondage, but he's called me into sonship and identity. And the greatest thing you can ever know is who you are as a son or a daughter. You're adopted. When you get born again, you get ado- adopted. Now I'm not living like an orphan anymore. And now I'm not trying to cover myself and protect myself. Now I'm living free because I'm part of the family where I can cry out, Abba, Father. It means that I'm now a son and have full access to the promises of my father. It's powerful. And then I'll leave you with these few scriptures. Galatians chapter 3, verse 2. Here's what happened to the Galatians church. The church of Galatia got lit up by signs and wonders and miracles in the Holy Spirit. They got born again. They had the joy of their salvation. But then Judaizers came in to bring them into bondage and to have confidence in the flesh. You need to be circumcised. You need to be fully adherent to the Mosaic law. You need to do all these other things. And look what Paul said. This is the only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by the hearing of faith? And what I'm preaching to you today is faith, not the works of the law. And what I want to see is the Holy Spirit actively leading you and guiding you in, cult, in confidence and boldness instead of you trying to trust your own flesh. You can't do it. Verse 3, are you so foolish you began in the Spirit and now you think you're being made perfect by the flesh? You can't be made perfect by the flesh. Stay in the Spirit. Hebrews 2.14, and as much as then as children have partaken of flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their life subject to bondage. Here's what this means. Some of us, our whole lives, have lived afraid of death. And it's bondage. And it comes from the wrong tree. But Jesus became a man, and he died on that tree to reverse the curse, So now I don't have to live under that curse any longer. Now I'm not living a life afraid of death. I don't want to die, but I'm certainly not going to live afraid of it. And I'm also not going to live a life afraid anymore of spiritual death because I've been made alive in Christ. Amen? And my last scripture for you is 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made in perfect love, made perfect in love. And any time that I'm falling prey to fear, I'm not talking about fear of God. I'm not talking about a healthy fear against sin and things like that. I'm talking about a fear of that is tormenting me, that keeps me up at night, that worries about my kids that God doesn't love me or accept me, that I bombed it so much that he's against me, that God's angry at me. I don't believe that. I believe that even when you bomb it a million times, that that's not necessarily pleasing to God, but he still loves you and he desires you to come out of that. And so what I'm saying to you is that perfect love drives out fear and torment. What are you fearing and being tormented by today? Is it your physical health? Is it your finances? Is it your son? Your daughter? Is it your uh, marriage? Your future marriage? Is it your job? Is it your finances? What are you fearing today? 
Because if there's fear, it's a different spirit. And I don't want you to live that way anymore. I want you to come out of it. And I don't want you to fall prey to deceiving spirits and false gospels. I want you to know Jesus, the person of Jesus, intimately. His love is perfect. Let's say that together. His love, His love is, perfect. is perfect. Let's all stand.